Welcome to the Speak Life Podcast. What we do at Speak Life is apply truth to reality. We know life is very difficult as it is, but it's a lot harder when you are not basing your life off of truth. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the Speak Life Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Blady. I can't tell you how encouraged I am that you've made it this far in this series. It means one of two things. Either you're afraid of bumping into me and know that I'm going to ask you something about part four, or the scriptures we've talked about haven't scared you away, and you desire to experience more of God in your life. We have a goal here at Speak Life. Our goal is to explain biblical truth and then apply it to life's realities. Find the truth in scripture and then use it to live our lives. Today we will discuss part four of a series called How to Live the Life God Created You For. Now the foundation of this whole series is the understanding that God created you for his pleasure. That's it. This is why you were created. And because God is God and we are the created, our purpose in life has just been established for us. And that is to please him. Now the God of all creation wants a relationship with you. And as crazy as that sounds, you'll find that if you please him in this relationship, you by far are the biggest winner. Because it's your life that gets transformed in this relationship. It's your life that experiences freedoms. It's your life that will experience a joy and a peace and a love through a pleasing relationship to God. It's you that will now experience God at a whole new level. Jesus himself says that knowing God in this way is the only way to experience life and life to the fullest. On the last podcast, we talked about the rules of engagement in this relationship so that this relationship is fruitful. And there's really only one rule to follow. It's simple to understand, but it won't come naturally. And it's this. He leads... And we follow. That's the only way this relationship works. And it's totally your choice whether you want to live like this. And of course, we learn that our free will choices carry life-impacting consequences. So on to part four in this series. It's titled, The Cosmic One-Two Punch. We've mentioned The Cosmic One-Two Punch previously in this series, And we called it Hear and Obey. I've asked you not to forget that powerful moment when you gave your life over to God. The moment of your conversion when everything in your life and your future life changed was because you heard God's call of love and call of repentance and forgiveness. You heard God's call to follow and to quit running your own life. And you responded to that. You obeyed that call. Well, the cosmic one-two punch also goes by a different name in the Bible. It's called faith and love. Let's first look at faith. Now, if you read the Bible at all, I think you would agree that faith plays a prominent role in God's world. So faith should play a prominent role in a believer's life. 
Faith is mentioned a whopping 458 times in Scripture. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, Paul takes the time to list out the great men and women of faith. It's sort of a hall of fame of faith. This is the who's who of the Bible. And like any hall of fame, you only gain entrance because the voters vote you in. And to get into the hall of fame of faith, only God can cast a vote for you. Only those who God deems impressive get in. It's also interesting to note that Jesus didn't get impressed with much here on earth. But he always got excited, he always noticed, and he always made a big deal when he ran across somebody with great faith. The opposite would be true. He always seemed to point out his disappointment or frustration when he ran across people who lacked it or who had little faith. And I know why. It's because of what Hebrews 11.6 has to say. It says that it's impossible to please God without it. The Bible is saying don't even try to please God. If you don't have faith, the Bible says it's an act of futility because it's just not going to happen. If you want to please God, and I know you do, faith is a non-negotiable. I hope you're sensing how important this is. So I want to make sure, and you should want to make sure, that you have a really good working understanding of what biblical faith means. Let's make sure how and what we think about faith is correct. If you look in the Webster's Dictionary for the definition of faith, you see it's defined as your devotion to duty or to a person or your belief in trust, in and loyalty to God. But do you hear how the emphasis is on you? Well, here's the biblical definition of faith. It's the Greek word pistis. And it properly means persuasion. It means divine persuasion. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I've never heard faith defined as that before. I would encourage you to look it up in the Greek lexicon because that's what the Greek word for faith means. Let's unpack this a little more and see how this makes total sense. Again, Hebrews 11.6, And without faith or without God persuading me in what pleases him, it's going to be impossible to please him. I'm going to repeat that again. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith or without God persuading me in what pleases him, it's going to be impossible to please him. I know this seems obvious, but I'm just going to say it anyway, just so we're all on the same page. Understand that God is never going to persuade you to do something that displeases him. Faith is the act of God giving us divine revelation. It's the act of God giving us divine inspiration. The critical point is, is that faith comes from God and lands in us. It comes from the top down. Faith is never something you or I can generate, 
or muster up. It's always something you receive. It's always a precious gift from God. So you see, there's a huge, 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 did I say huge difference between God's definition of faith and the world's definition of faith. In the world's definition, you are the source of your faith with all of your shortcomings and frailties and weaknesses. The onus is strictly on you and you alone to have some sort of faith. You're on the hook to figure out what would please God. Now, by God's definition of faith, he's the source. He's the one giving it to you with all of his strength and all of his wisdom and all of his love and all of his perfection. You need to let this sink in because if you get it, it will alter the way you manage your day. It will alter the way you live your life. We'll pick that back up in a second. But see, if you truly get your mind and heart around the biblical definition of faith, it makes perfect sense. I mean, how in the world am I going to please a perfect God? Clint Eastwood said it best, and I'm probably dating myself by saying this, but he said every man must know his limitations. See, we either have a way too lofty view of ourselves or a far too low view of God to think that we and our flesh are going to somehow please him. And boy, the Bible doesn't mince words when it comes to faith and its role in pleasing God. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatever is not from faith, or whatever action or choice you make that is not directed or empowered by faith, is sin. Again, which makes total sense, because sinning means missing the mark of what pleases God. If the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do something or to stop doing something, then that's faith. It's from God. That's him telling me what would please him. And please don't ever forget that pleasing him is always what's best for us. So an impartation of faith should always be viewed as a gift. The other part of me is my flesh. And we addressed this in the podcast, the last one, that if I sow to the flesh, I will reap a harvest of destruction. Let's just say it's just not what's best for me. We will always be on the losing end of that transaction. I could tell what you're probably thinking right now. So, Mark, you're saying that the Bible teaches that it's impossible to please God without faith, and yet I can't generate it myself. So exactly how do I get it? Well, I am so glad that you've asked. Look at Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Well, I think by definition, if I'm hearing something, then it's coming from someone other than me. Faith is hearing what heaven is saying. It's always from the top down. Again, we talked about it in the third podcast. It's when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us in our choices. This happens by listening to the Spirit. Scripture teaches that God apportions faith to those who, and this is a big deal, 
desire to please him. The very goal of life is receiving or hearing, then obeying God's inworking of faith, which he is constantly willing to impart, since it's impossible to please him without it. Hear and obey, the cosmic one-two punch. The first part to pleasing God is hearing. The second part is obeying. But the key is to bring these two powerful choices together. You have to operate in both parts. To receive faith, but to not obey, it's useless. Because the Bible says in James 2 that faith without works is dead. Make no mistake that God fills you with faith for one reason. To do what he's asking you to do. And look at the active role God plays when it comes to our faith. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's ready and more than willing to fill us with faith. But it comes more readily to those who desire to please him. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It's the cosmic one-two punch. Hear and obey. Let's back up and, and maybe pick on the disciples again. In Matthew 17, we read that the disciples prayed for a miracle for a boy who had seizures. It didn't happen. The healing didn't take place. So the dad went to Jesus, and he then prayed for the boy, and he was healed. Now much later in the day, when everybody was gone, the disciples asked Jesus why when they prayed for the boy, nothing happened. He responds in Matthew 17, 20. He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This phrase, little faith, might mean something different than you had thought. In the Greek, this phrase, little faith, has nothing to do with size. Because Jesus just said, faith is small as a mustard seed. He said this because mustard seeds are very tiny seeds, can move mountains. So that makes no sense to think Jesus is talking about the size of their faith. No, this Greek word means little in number or little in frequency. Jesus was saying that faith hasn't been happening in the disciples. This is not your M.O. yet, this hearing and then obeying. You haven't learned to operate this way yet. Faith is not yet a part of your everyday life. Little faith describes someone dull of hearing when it comes to the Lord's voice. Jesus used this phrase five times, and each time it was because there was a failure to hear his voice. This type of person is lacking a full interest in walking with the Lord or allowing the Lord to lead them in their life. The Bible clearly indicates 
that a lack of faith in someone's life directly puts a stop on the amazing things God wants to do in their lives. When someone is too busy leading their own lives to stop and hear the faith God wants to give. And remember, God will never force himself on us. We see this on clear display when Jesus visits his hometown and they were reluctant to receive him. Matthew 13, 57 and 58. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here is the Apostle Paul's approach to his life concerning faith. It's Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and then he says this astonishing thing, and I no longer live. Now I know that sounds rather harsh, but see, Paul doesn't do what he wants to do when he wants to do it anymore. He's made this business transaction like we talked about in the last podcast, and he's laid that life down. And because he's done that, because he's made that choice, he picks up this other end of the deal, the other end of the transaction. He says, but Christ lives in me. What a powerful statement that is. But Christ actually lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I base my choices on Jesus' leading by his divine persuasion. See, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For Paul, faith has become a better and more powerful guide for him than even what his eyes can see and perceive. Look at what he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, For we live by faith and not by sight. He's saying, I don't care what the circumstances look like. What heaven tells me to do trumps even my instincts. He says that we do this because two verses later, he says in verse 9, Here's the objective. He says, for we make it our goal to please him. Earlier I mentioned that when you truly understand how faith works and how critical it is in pleasing God, coupled with the understanding of how futile it is to lead your own life, and boy, I hope we've made this clear on multiple levels, then you're going to make some obvious life adjustments. For instance... How might your mornings look, you know, before you really start your day? I know my thought is this. I'm thinking, you know, the only chance I have to make this day count, the only way I have a chance in pleasing God and experiencing the abundant life he created me for is to spend time with him early in the day and be in his presence. This becomes a priority. This is a non-negotiable. You open up the Bible, yes, but not just to read Scripture, but also to ask God to fill me with your faith as I read your Word. I mean, we've all been there when you get that divine inspiration, when the Word of God jumps off the page and penetrates your heart, when you get a deep and profound aha moment. I've personally noticed that these come more frequently when you have a deep desire to please Him 
and ask him to fill you with faith. Let's talk about prayer and how it plays a critical role in your faith. And once again, I believe it's so important that we have a sound understanding of what biblical prayer looks like. The Greek word for prayer is prosuxi. It properly means to exchange wishes. <laughs> biblical prayer happens when we interact with the Lord to switch our wishes or our ideas for his wishes or ideas as he imparts faith. Prayer means to interact with God since it's meant to be a two-way communication with him. You're in a relationship with God. It's meant to be a dialogue, not a monologue. And in this conversation with God, it's God's response to mine that's the most important part. Yes, yes, you present your request to God. That is an element of prayer. He asks us to ask. But then listen and see if he has a better plan. I would encourage a dedicated time in your prayer life when you are just silent before him, giving him a chance to speak to you. I mean, even if your plan or prayer makes total sense, but if it doesn't, if God doesn't deem it best, then it's best to get on the same page as him. Look at how Jesus prays before he is brutally crucified. In Mark 14, 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus certainly knew this better than anybody. Remove this cup from me. There's the request. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Ultimately, Jesus wants to be on the same page as God. There is no greater example of someone swapping out their wishes for God's. And aren't we glad that Jesus did? The ripple effects from this one choice to hear and obey has been felt by all mankind. It's always best when we use prayer to get on God's page. Thank you, Lord, for being our example. When one of the disciples asked Jesus, could you teach us to pray? Here's the example Jesus gives them. First he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now I would have to think that Jesus is setting the priority of the prayer by the order in which he prays. He then goes on to say, Thy kingdom come. May you, God, reign as king in my life. Thy will be done. Fill me with faith so I know what pleases you and help me to obey you. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth really means in my life first. Lord, let all this happen in my life since I can't control what other people do, but I have a choice to let you lead my life here on earth. He prays all these things first before he gets to this part of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You see how the focus of his prayer was more about getting on God's page than it is about his own wants. The Bible also says something very interesting about how often we should pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17 we read that we should pray continually. 
This means without ceasing. Prayer should be this more than regular ongoing lifestyle. So, this is what biblical prayer should look like in the life of a believer. It should be asking God, what do you think? Like a gazillion times a day. For we have a gazillion choices to make in a day. And can you see or sense an intimacy that would be developed to a person who operates in prayer this way? You remember that disrespectful grenade that got launched my way in the car from a family member? It's a perfect example. There was a choice to be made by me. And the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray. Lord, how do you want me to handle this? I prayed, fill me with faith. What would please you? And I can tell you firsthand that while most times it will be a different path than you would have chosen, it's always best to swap out your wishes for God's. At the very beginning of time, God created Adam and Eve for his pleasure through the relationship they would have with him. But God knew that in this relationship, Adam and Eve would be the real winners because they would be on the receiving end of his perfect love. So let's talk about the second part of the one-two punch, love. The love we're talking about is called agape love. This Greek word is probably the most used Greek term that Christians are aware of. And I would guess that most Christians understand that agape love is the highest, most perfect, most selfless kind of love. A divine kind of love which would all be true. But let's look at how the Greek word is defined. Agape love means prefer or preference. Again, agape love properly means prefer or preference. Again, it seems like an odd way to describe this perfect love until you realize that agape love means God's preference or what God prefers. Agape love simply means, and this is so awesome to get your mind around, it's whatever God prefers. It's going to be this perfect love. It means that whatever God chooses to do, he does it in this perfect love. Look at what 1 John 4, 8 says. It says that, kind of a short verse, God is love. This means that this type of perfect love only exists because of God. It's like saying this true statement, that the sunlight only exists because of the sun. Take the sun away, and the sunlight goes away. Take God out, and agape love ceases to exist. Now that's great news for us, is that God only operates with us in agape love. Another way to understand it, what agape love means or what it looks like from God's perspective would be that when God deals with us, he only seeks our eternal good. Look at the famous verse, John three sixteen. It says, For God so agape loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only Son for us so that we could have eternal life. God's preference was to not leave us in this helpless state that we created for ourselves, but he preferred to give up his son for us. 
because he's always looking out for our eternal good. There is no greater picture of what agape love looks like than to see Jesus, his son, hanging and dying on the cross for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, and not wanting anything to do with him, he preferred to give up his most precious possession for us. That's what he preferred. We are the object of his love. I hope we're starting to connect the dots here about the cosmic one-two punch and what it looks like. Faith is the act of God persuading us in what pleases him or what he prefers. And what pleases him or what he prefers is always divine love. When asked what the greatest commandment is, like what can we do in response to this great love, Jesus responds with, love God with all your being. The Greek word here is agapeo. This is the verb tense. This is an action word, and it literally means, and it makes total sense when you understand what agape means, it means for us to prefer what God prefers. This means to do what God is telling you to do. The best way to describe how to love God is simply to obey what he's asking you to do. Matter of fact, it's the only way you can ever love God back is to obey him. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, obey my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, in fact, says, This is love for God, to keep his commands. So scripture has told us that God is love. He alone defines it. And out of love, he imparts what he wants you to do by faith. And if you choose to do what he tells you to do, or you actually prefer what he prefers, well, then you just loved God back. And I would also say you just pleased him. It's the greatest of all things you can do on earth. Faith plus love is the cosmic combination of all combinations. Hear God faith and obey God love is all that really matters and is everything if you want to please him and see God move in your life. Whenever someone obeyed the faith that God put in them, God did amazing things. It's all through the scriptures. Reminds me of Jesus' first miracle, his first one. That's when Mary, his mom, wanted Jesus to turn water into wine at the wedding at Cana. She looked at the servants, and look what she said to them. She said, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, which is faith, do it, which is love. Now, of course, the servants listened to Jesus. They obeyed what he told them to do. They had to. They were servants. That's a whole other podcast. But here's another if-you-then-I situation. And because they obeyed, Jesus performed the miracle. In case you don't know the story, Jesus transforms water into wine because the wedding party ran out. So not only does the wedding party go on without a hitch because of a new supply of wine, but much more importantly, the scripture tells us that Jesus was glorified. When you hear and obey, 
Jesus gets glorified. And the disciples believed in him. They were growing in their knowledge of him. See, water wasn't the only thing Jesus was transforming that day. Powerful things happen when faith and love are in operation in your life. Look at what Galatians 5, 6 says. It takes it a step further and says that faith and love are the only things that matter. Paul writes, let this sink in. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It has none. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you live a life of faith and love or hear and obey, you start living the life God created you for. You live this way and before you know it, you'll be living a life of a disciple. You'll be living a life of obedience that's abundant, that's overflowing. You'll be living a life that is doing the will of the Father, that does glorify God. You'll be living a life that impacts others. Oh, you'll be a light. Oh, you'll be salty. You'll be living a life that is full of the Spirit. You'll be operating in the gifts God has handpicked for you. Talk about kingdom living. Faith and love is the only way that any of these things happen. You'll be living a life that stores up treasure in heaven. I believe scripture makes a very strong case that the only treasure you will receive in heaven and then be able to give back to the Lord is when you acted in faith and love. The Bible says that the only three things that are eternal are faith, hope, and love. If you're living your life in this manner, who knows what God will use you for? But I do know this. You'll be living the life God created you for because you'll be living a life that pleases him. And probably best of all, you will also live a life of intimacy with your maker. Remember John 17, 3, when Jesus said, Now this is how to live your best life. Get to know him. Jesus also says in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In closing, I want you to get your mind around this profound thought. In entering a relationship between you and God, He is the one who brings everything to the table. And I mean everything. You and I, we, we bring nothing to the table except making the choice to please him. That's all you or I can add to this relationship. So if you understand this, if you get this, if you see this correctly, you realize that the one who doesn't bring much has a chance to gain everything. So I implore you, do not miss out on the opportunity to please him. On next week's show, we have a lot of loose ends to tie up. I also have some important thoughts on your thought life. We've already touched on how important it is, but I want to give you some practical steps for you to have victory in your mind. I also want to give you some tips on how to navigate 
some of the pitfalls we all face in life. So don't miss it. Until then, speak life. Thanks for tuning in to the Speak Life podcast. Speak Life is a nonprofit organization and we rely on donations and referrals. If you feel there is an organization or an individual who needs to hear this message, I trust that you will get it into the right hands. If you would like to find out more about us, donate, or leave a testimonial, head over to www.speaklife.world. And lastly, for a list of today's scriptures, you can go to Speak Life Facebook page at speaklife.world. 